Welcome to Looking at Lucasfilm with Brian Gaughan, the podcast with a different perspective on the worlds of Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and all of the other entities that George Lucas, Kathleen Kennedy, Dave Filoni, and John Favreau, as well as the rest of the team at Lucasfilm, have dreamed up over the past 40 years. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host Brian Gaughan and I are recording this week's show on Sunday, August 27, 2023, so... We have both just seen, well, you saw it like instantaneously, right? The, the moment it dropped on Tuesday night? At 9.01, Devin and I were turning it on. And he told me it was at 9 o'clock. I'm going, no, 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 it can't be. And yes, there it was. Damn. So we turned on at 9 o'clock and we watched it. I've already seen it twice. Oh, so. okay. Well, I myself did get to see it last night. Very much enjoyed it. We're going to talk at length about this on the second half of today's show. But if you love Star Wars Rebels, which ran on Disney XD from October yep. of 2014, almost 10 years ago. Wow. And then concluded March uh, 2018, 75 very entertaining episodes over four seasons. I'm pretty sure you're going to love Star Wars Ahsoka as well. Yeah, it's got the same tone and the, the same style, oh, yeah. but like, again, we'll talk about it near the end. Okay, okay. Before we get to that, we, of course, have to do the news, and I want to remind you that Looking at Lucasfilm has a brand new sponsor, which is Touring Plan's own travel agency. So if you're thinking of heading down to Walt Disney World in the not-so-distant future, why not let these obviously very knowledgeable folks help book you a vacation package to that resort? And if you're nice, they may even toss in a subscription to touring plans for free. Seriously, though, if you're, you're planning on visiting Central Florida anytime soon, Touring Plan's own travel agency is the smartest place to go. So please check them out at touringplans.com backslash travel. Also, again, we have wonderful listeners on this show, uh, Brian. And quick follow-up on last week's show as Brian and I were wrapping up our Paul Rubens tribute. I asked about the Captain Rex AA figure that appears in Ogus Cantina at Galaxy's Edge in Anaheim and Orlando. To be specific, I was looking for info about whether Imagineering had brought Paul Rubens back in to record new dialogue for this character, the, the one he created for the original version of Star Tours, not to mention the one he reprised in the uh, season one episodes of Star Wars Rebels. And Jerry S. wrote in to say, Hi, Jim and Brian. On your latest episode of Looking at Lucasfilm, you're wondering if Paul Rubens recorded new Rex dialogue for Galaxy's Edge. And according to Attractions Magazine, he did, in fact, do so. In fact, the oh, cool. story is that he crashed on Batu and then got the job <laughs> at Ogus Cantina at the DJ. And then Kevin W. went on to say, uh, well, first of all, he, he said, Dear Jim, my name is Kevin Wade, and I worked at Disney Feature Animation back when they told us, don't talk to Jim Hill. <laughs> all right. So anyway, but regarding Paul Rubens, he is the voice of Rex in Ogus Cantina. After our loss of Paul, I asked former Imagineer Brendan Kalin via Instagram. By the way, Brendan is of, of Trader Sam fame. Asked if he knew about Rubens, and he confirmed that Paul had indeed been brought back in to record new lines for Rex. And says, take care, and I can now talk to Jim Hill if I want to. Did you know there was a ban on you? I actually did. I get you know, It was kind of interesting. This dated back to, I had only just begun writing for the web, I want to say 97, 98. And this was when Kingdom of the Sun was in production, right. and this was Roger Aller's follow-up project to The Lion King, and on paper, it was a wonderful idea. It was uh, a, a version of Mark Twain's The Prince and the Pauper, but set in Peru back in the age of the Incas, and they had Owen Wilson. Uh, he was voicing the, the poor peasant who switched places with the, the rich vein Incan prince, uh, Manco. Interestingly enough, David Spade was one of the only people who stayed with the film all the way through. And I did have somebody on the inside at Disney Feature Animation feeding me all sorts of information as this very promising project went off the rails. And Disney Animation Management began kind of a witch hunt at that point to find out who was talking to me. So it, it got kind of intense for a while there. And in this very same window of time, 
I had a friend at ILM who was feeding me information about Jar Jar Binks, how George Lucas had this character, this Gungan, that he had, he said, you know, it was sort of the illegitimate child of Buster Keaton and Goofy. Oh. And, and by the way, Slash Film, literally early this afternoon, published a piece where they talked about how Ahmed Best originally won the role of Jar Jar. Did you ever heard this before? Or Yeah, they had somebody else originally, didn't they? That I don't know. I, you know. In fact, Slash Film pulled its info from uh, Star Wars, the making of episode one, The Phantom Menace, from Laurent Bozero and Jody Duncan. This was published back in, in May of 99 from Lucas Books. But anyway, they quote Phantom Menace casting director Robin Gerland, who said when it came to this Gungan, George knew he wanted a bumbling type. But there wasn't any definitive description of Jar Jar other than he was high energy, comedic, and somewhat improvisational. So a few days after she gets this character's description for George, Robin is sitting at home watching Stomp Out Loud on HBO, which is this 45-minute long TV special that showcased that famous percussion performing group. They shot this special all around New York City, so it's them in places like Grand Central, that sort of thing, uh, performing live for crowds. And one of the highlights of this TV show, which, by the way, would go on to win four Emmys, was Ahmed Best performing this amazing musical number with a full-size kitchen sink hung around his neck. <laughs> and after seeing this footage, Gerland reached out to Best and quickly arranged for him to come in for an audition for the role of Jar Jar. And to hear her talk, it said, I asked him to do a bit of improv for me. I, I told him to imagine he was a very gangly being who was eating a clam. And then I saw Ahmed bring Jar Jar to life. And so Garland then has best audition for Lucas. George loves Ahmed's physicality and quickly casts him as the performer who would be on set and do all of the live action reference for Jar Jar. Because remember, Jar Jar in the movie is a strictly CG character, but Best also read Jar Jar's lines on set, and George so liked Ahmed's reading of the dialogue, he then chose Best to be the Gungan's official voice in the finished film. And by the way, since we're talking about live performers physically representing Star Wars characters, and we were just talking about Star Wars Galaxy's Jadra a moment ago, Ahsoka Tana is going to start showing up in Anaheim. Oh. In fact, I stand corrected. She's already there. She started appearing in the West Coast version of Batu on Wednesday of this past week, August 23rd. And Ahsoka is not appearing in Orlando yet. Well, they don't have to connect it with the hotel anymore, do they? Well, now remember, Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser doesn't complete its final voyage till oh, okay, September okay. 29th. And what I've heard is once that entity, the last guests are, are shown out the door, sometime immediately after that in the new fiscal year for the Walt Disney Company, which starts on October 1st, the Mandalorian Grogu, Boba Fett, and Fennec Shand, as well as Ahsoka Tana, should begin making regular appearances at the Disney Hollywood studio version of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Now, mind you, at this point, it's still a rumor. I'm trying to get a, again, I've heard this from one person okay. in entertainment. I'm trying to get it confirmed from another source. And if I do, we'll get back, I'd circle back with that story. Okay, I want to circle back to Jar Jar. Mm -hmm. When they were doing Jar Jar, didn't anybody stand up and say, listen, this is a stereotypical African-American type of thing going on here? Didn't anybody see that, that it could have been seen as troublesome? Let's think about the first two minutes of Phantom Menace, where we had the Trade Federation representatives. Right, and that's even worse. Okay, yeah, who, who kind of came across like evil Japanese World War II-style villains. But nobody said anything. Again, you, I mean, I mean, it, it's so obvious that it just seems like somebody would have said something like, "We've got to tone this down because it, people are going to be offended by it." Okay, now remember, this is George Lucas, who based uh -huh. the first trilogy 
on movie serials of the 30s and 40s that, you know, right. you can Ming the Merciless, okay? Yeah, and also um, Kurosawa films. Yeah, but, but mostly the serials of the 30s. Right. And the other thing he, you know, kept telling the actors on set is this is a kid's movie. You know, very okay. broad villains and supporting characters had worked in the first movie and nobody had called George on it. So our trade federation representatives and, and they, Jar Jar. They didn't have horrible, they didn't have um, satirical, not satirical, but um, stereotypical voices though and mannerisms. Yeah, I get that. There wasn't, you know, there, there was your typical, like maybe bad guys, but not anything that you would say, oh, that sounds like. Dot, dot, dot. Okay, but to be fair here, if we take a look at Temple of Doom, you had, you know, a film that was being produced by, you know, uh, Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. First one had made, you know, a, a ton of money. And so who was going to second guess them? But it was a different time, though. Uh, that was the 80s, and, and, you know, people weren't as sensitive to things but then the 90s came around or the late 90s and people were getting really sensitive to what was going on and it just it just seemed like it was a little tone deaf now i'm not saying i look at it i watch it and it's like you know i cringe a little bit but i still think it's now that i know what he was trying to do you know i'm okay with it but still but again, you have to understand that a George Lucas yeah, wasn't beholden. I mean, the standard Hollywood rules didn't apply to George Lucas. If anything, remember, he, he went around town and offered the, the Star Wars prequel to all of the, uh, you know, the studios in town. And it was Fox that piled up the biggest amount of money because it wanted the right. rights to those films again. But at that point, you don't turn around and go, okay, George, we have issues with the script. It's like at this point... And, and Marsha wasn't around yeah. to, um, also. you know, to say, George, mm. step back. Yeah. Um, I also, I just found out that the original person that wanted to be Jar Jar Binks, mm -hmm. but not CG, he, he wanted to wear um, makeup and stuff. Mm -hmm. Do you know who that was? I do not. Michael Jackson. Oh. Yeah. Okay. That's kind of interesting. Um, and he wanted to do it with prosthetics. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why that um, George went another way, but I'm kind of glad he did. <laughs> I think this is more a case of, realistically, if you think about the Gungans as a people and the battle there on the, the planet surface and that sort of thing, you know, going up against the... The battle droids. But then you had Brian Blessed, who didn't really, you know, seem any kind of stereotypical. But then you had some of the other guys who there was what that one commander and he sounded very Jamaican mm -hmm. or or things like that. I mean, it was it's just I don't know. All right. Well, it's always interesting to stand outside of something and puzzle that why didn't somebody uh, exactly. say, say something and it just sort of like but this is the but what's happening is I have kids that are are very into doing the the greatest thing possible and they're the ones that are getting on to me and then saying like you can't do that anymore you can't say that word it's not a bad word it's a bad word you can't say that. So I'm becoming more sensitive mm -hmm. because they won't stop harassing me. Okay, okay. And no, I, I, I get that. I get that. But at the same time, you have to actually put yourself in the moment and figure what executive yes. at Fox is going to go, hey, George, let's sit down and talk about That's this Jar Jar Banks character. It's like, it's more the effect of, uh, Mr. Lucas, how much of a cut are we getting of the toy sales? Well, Liana had never seen any Star Wars films, and it was when I first met her, and I brought her to that film, and that was her first thing with Star Wars, and she loved Jar Jar, mm -hmm. and because she she loved a, a lot of um, Armenian and Russian TV, mm -hmm. their comedy is very broad, mm -hmm. so she enjoyed seeing a character like that, and it, it worked for her 100%. So I bought her a lot of Jar Jar plush and stuff. Okay, and I, I think the <laughs> international box office for Phantom Menace sort of bored that out as well. But yes, and speaking yes. of it, while we're talking about box office, of course, on last week's show, we went very in-depth into how uh, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny uh, had done. Uh, and 
At this point, box office for Indy 5 is basically done. We are $175 million, North America, 205 overseas. Worldwide gross of $379 million, which is less than half of what Indy 4 made back in 2008. That, that was $790 million. So tomorrow, Monday, August 28th, this James Mangold movie becomes available for viewing on all sorts of digital platforms. I still haven't seen this yet, but I think this will give me my opportunity to do this at home. Are you going to show out the 20 bucks or are you going to wait till it comes on Disney Plus? I think, again, so we can finally talk about this on the show we do in two weeks. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this. But again, from what I've been told from friends at, at Lucasfilm, it's like, look, Dial of Destiny has not recovered its production or promotional costs, and this is having an impact on all of Lucasfilm. A case in point, back on Tuesday, August 15th, we learned that Lucasfilm would be closing its visual effects production facility, and this is also an animation studio, the one it opened in Singapore back in 2004. These are the very talented folks who made Star Wars The Clone Wars uh, and Star Wars Rebels, 300 artists and animators uh, who worked in the Sandcrawler building. I don't know if you've ever seen a, a picture of this facility, but it literally looks like that that giant thing uh, that Jawas drove around in New Hope. And right. uh, Lucasfilm still has animation studios and visual effects production facilities in Vancouver, London, Sydney, and Mumbai, uh, not to mention its corporate headquarters out at the Presidio. So only the facility in Singapore is closing. But this is still tough. But again, Disney is tightening its belt in all sorts of directions. And Lucasfilm, on the heels of Dial of Destiny, so severely underperforming at the box office, has to do its part. Are they doing this because of the rumor that they're looking for somebody to purchase it? Purchase... Disney. Uh... Um, or Lucas, I, I, or Marvor, or something. There's been a, a lot of talk lately about Disney getting itself ready to sell. It's kind of in that financial press echo chamber where people sort of do the, well, you know, if a company were getting itself ready to sell, this is what they do. And Fox, yes, Fox actually sold a chunk of of its film library and, and television assets to Disney because the belief was that they had gotten too big. They couldn't be fleet. And so, you know, that, that okay. you know, if they limited overhead and they focused in tighter on Fox News and the like, you know, they'd be ready for the next. But, you know, if anything, I'm hearing just as many rumors to the effect of what Disney needs to fix itself is yet another acquisition. So there are two scenarios. One is that Disney gets sold to Apple, and the other is Disney buys Apple. Something like that, selling off an individual visual effects house in Singapore. Um, I don't know if, if that quite makes... If it's just like one company left, I mean, it just seems too weird that everybody's just get consolidating and then turning into... And what are we getting out of it? We're getting out of people panicking and and us as consumers, we're getting less and less entertainment, aren't we? I would argue that, you know, I mean, I just mentioned, for example, there's, there's all this stuff that, take for example Hulu, there's just been a brand new season of Futurama launched over there. Right. They've got a season three of Only Murders in This Building. But I would yeah. argue there is so much product. Yeah, but then they're canceling so many great things, though, and they're not renewing things right away. And we have to wait to find out if we're going to get a, a second um, season of, of um, well, I guess we're getting a second season of a Wednesday. But I mean, of, of things that we just wait too long for. Uh, Brian, re realistically, we are in the middle of a writer's strike and an actor's strike. So, yeah, we're going to be waiting a while before we get new stuff. But that's... Well, that's true. That's true. But I, was, I wasn't thinking of that. I was just thinking of... It, it just seems like there's, like, so much panic that streaming didn't do exactly what they wanted to do. 
people aren't going back to the movie theaters except that Oppenheimer and Barbie kind of destroyed that. But um, to pivot to our, our next topic here, I mean, you had mentioned that as part of this week's show, we really need to talk about Rebel Moon because in a weird sort of way, this is kind of the anti Dial of Destiny, you know, I mean, can, can you talk right. about the financials for this one? For a long time, I've been hearing about Rebel Moon mm-hmm. and how it was Zack Snyder's, his version of Star Wars. Now, you know, Snyder has um, been, he's like the, the geek's um, flavor of the month. They seem to love him. Anything he does, they keep on yelling Snyderverse, they keep on doing this. So they so Netflix finally decided to do his Star Wars project, which I guess he went to Lucasfilm, and they were interested, but because they sold themselves to Disney, they wanted to focus on things they did. Mm. And his idea was to go back to the beginning of what George did mm-hmm. to get influenced by, you know, the Kurosawa films, mm-hmm. Japanese cinema, and other things like that, and make it more serious, mm-hmm. make it like grown up. And they filmed the film in Valencia, near Valencia, mm-hmm. where Magic Mountain is, mm-hmm. and there's studios out there, and they, they had a 152-day shooting schedule, mm-hmm. which on a film like this, mm-hmm. that's, that's normal. Mm-hmm. And the... Budget was $160 million, mm-hmm. which is normal on a on a film. Mm-hmm. But it seems what he did was he made a Snyder cut. Mm-hmm. He did it, two films. He did a four-hour film, and instead of, you know, eventually coming out with a director's cut that's four hours, it looks like they're going to cut it into two parts. Mm-hmm. And this is for Netflix, right? This is for Netflix, but they're going to... Do well, they're, they're doing a um, you know, they want to put in the theaters mm-hmm. to get Academy Award consideration mm-hmm. at least two weeks. But I think if they do a lot of good promotion with this mm-hmm. and, and people are really hot, it will make its negative. So the 160 million mm-hmm. is basically turns into 80 million per film, which is a bargain. And if you bring that in there, you can make that in two or three weeks. And at least you get your negative costs back. It's supposed to show up, uh, the, the part one of Rebel Moon, which will go by the, the, the title A Child of Fire. That's supposed to drop on December 22nd of this year. So I'm assuming from what you're saying, we'll see a two or three week run out ahead of that. Yeah, no, I, I heard November, like near Thanksgiving. Okay, that makes sense. That it may come out, which would which would be perfect. Hmm. And if it, you know, what kind of theaters does Netflix put in? About 500, 1,000? And they'll probably just hit the coast or the big cities. Mm-hmm. And I think it would do pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, have you seen the preview? I did, I did. And I, I have to tell you that I, I am not, I mean, don't get me wrong. Zack Snyder makes visually compelling movies. Beautiful films. Yeah, but they're also dark. And that's the thing. I, you know, Sucker punch. You know, yeah, <laughs> and I, I just recently sat down and watched the Snyder cut of Justice League. And it's just sort of like, somebody give that man a hug. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you, you're right about him it makes sense to return to the the source material so to speak so you know in much the same way that uh, the original star wars was you know inspired by hidden fortress the fact that this one is supposedly the seventh samurai but there's a princess involved too yeah in fact this is the bullet point description of the first installment of the film that netflix has made available the film centers on koro uh, who will be played by Sophia Butella. Though a stranger among a community on a planet called Veld, she soon becomes their only hope as an interstellar war comes to their peaceful colony world. To defend the life she has become accustomed to, Cora must now assemble a team of outsiders, insurgents, peasants, and orphans of war from different worlds to stand against Mother World, the capital of a spacefaring expansionist empire. So uh, we kind of get a taste of that in the trailer. I'm intrigued by this character that Anthony Hopkins 
It's supposed the robot. To, yes, Jimmy the Ancient Robot Knight, who served Vel's original royal family centuries before the Mother World invasion. I love Anthony Hopkins, mm-hmm. but I don't see a lot of laughs in yeah. his, in his performances. Mm-hmm. And all the robots, they they kind of have a a snarky attitude or or a you know a C three PO attitude, mm-hmm. which gives us you know lightness and. Mm-hmm. And we can relate to that, but we'll see what happens. But you're right, he does go very dark. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I don't know, the cast just seems amazing. Uh, Jenna Malone as a a spider woman, mm-hmm. and um, Ray Fisher's in mm-hmm. it. He's always great to watch. But it's a cast, you know them all, mm-hmm. but none of them are, except for maybe Hopkins, none of them are major, major actors. Mm-hmm. So, but that's another thing. Okay, they shot two films. Mm-hmm. Did they know they were shooting two films? Are they getting paid for two films? Kind of brings us back to the original Superman, doesn't it? You know. Yeah, and not only that, but remember Three Musketeers? Oh, yeah. Richard Lester's yeah. Three Musketeers? Yeah. The, they didn't even know when they saw the first movie. Yep. They go, well, we filmed all this other stuff. What about that? He goes, oh, it's coming out next year. Mm. And then they sued. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Hopefully, the contracts are a little tighter for this time around. Yeah, but I, I mean, the, the whole idea of if you can make mm-hmm. a great film or a good film for that kind of budget, mm-hmm. and it, it really looks good, then that's going to be what everybody wants to start doing. Well, I mean, when when you start seeing a Netflix film and you find out. Even though it has one actor, one major actor, you know Ryan Reynolds or Gosling or The Rock, and it's a two hundred million dollar budget, mm-hmm. and it's it's not, you know, a huge action film. It's just a regular, nice, fun film. You start going, well, is this where everybody's going? But then you you need the medium films. You need the twenty five million dollar films. You need the eighty million dollar films. So we can start. So we could keep on doing the Marvel movies and the the Indiana Jones, etc. Yeah. But if if everything's going to go blockbuster because that's the only thing people are going to see in the movie theaters, that's a lot of reason why we're losing people going to the theater. It'll be interesting to see if this gamble pays off. Because remember, we're not going to get the part two of uh, Rebel Moon, uh, subtitled The Scargiver. Until April 19th of next year. Which is not bad. Four months. Four months. That's Usually you have to wait a year mm-hmm. for something like that. Remember with, um, what was it, uh, Back to the Future, oh. two and three? And this is true. This is true. But the upside is uh, waiting on episode three of uh, Star Wars Ahsoka. We just have to wait till uh, Wednesday of this week. And, and speaking of which, folks, when we get back on this break, we are going to take a deep dive on this new limited series from Lucasfilm on Disney+. Talk to me about the first time you met Ahsoka Tana, because the way I remember this character, she was actually introduced in the Clone Wars movie, the one that that went out in theaters. And in fact, it was, if you can believe it, 15 years ago this month. Now, I want to clarify here that this is Clone Wars, the theatrical film that was then followed by a CG animated series, not Clone Wars, the hand-drawn series that Gennady Tartakovsky did in 2003. In fact, wasn't that sort of a bridge thing for between Attack of the Clones and uh, Revenge of the Sith? Yeah, that's what the the original one was. But the movie introduced... Mm -hmm. Ahsoka, but not really in an introduction Mm -hmm. form. She was just there. Mm -hmm. She wasn't introduced until later in the Clone Wars, maybe like the the second or third episode. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I didn't, I wasn't crazy about her. I did not. I, it was, again, to me, it was like the trope of having a a teenager that doesn't want to listen to anybody, that doesn't think anybody knows anything you know, even though you're you're dealing with people who have been part of this religion thing for, you know, years and they've studied it and they know, but she felt she knew better than they did. Mm-hmm. And she just takes an attitude. And there has been some 
episodes where, you know, she lightened up a little bit, mm-hmm. and even she made Anakin lighten up again mm-hmm. a little bit too. But she still, the last episode she was in mm-hmm. when she fought for the clones, mm-hmm. not to hurt them. I mean, that's when to me that's what her cha- what, when she changed. Not even when she left the Jedi Order, because to me that was just another. You know, she gave up on something that she didn't understand. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't crazy about that. She was more of an antagonist to me than a protagonist. Interesting. But just to sort of recap here, the Clone Wars television series, again, started October 2008 on Cartoon Network. Five seasons ran there, and then George announced they were winding down production in 2013, so it was kind of a surprise the following year to have season six show up on Netflix, but end with the one uh, season there. And finally, some six years later, on Disney+, Plus, we finally got season seven, which ended with the episode you just described. Right. But in between there, we did get Star Wars Rebels, which did feature appearances by uh, Ahsoka. In fact, wasn't her code name Fulcrum, I want to say? Fulcrum, yeah. She was Fulcrum. Well, for a while, we didn't know who Fulcrum was, Mm -hmm. but it was this person who was helping the Resistance. And then when we found her out, and yet then her character had lightened up a bit to the point where she knew what she was fighting for. Mm -hmm. And she had realized that Anakin turning to Darth Vader... Mm -hmm could have been part of her fault too. And I think she realized that especially the last time they saw each other. Mm-hmm. And she just she just changed and realized it just seemed to me that she realized that everything she did mattered to somebody. Mm-hmm. So her character changed in to me, it changed in Rebels and then when we saw her in Mandalorian and Boba Fett, she changed again. And she just turned into this wise lone wolf that that needed a mission. Mm-hmm. Then we have the new series. We do, we do. And what kind of intrigues me is if you remember how that final episode of Star Wars Rebels ends, we have Ahsoka Tana teaming up with Sabine Wren, you know, to go off in search of Ezra Bridges, who again, remember, last time we saw her was being whisked off by the the Purgles, those giant purple space whales, who went along, you know, with Ezra, or against his will, mind you, was Grand Admiral Thrawn. So as a big-time fan of the Star Wars Rebel series, I, I think right out of the box, one of the things I'm really enjoying is being on the planet of the Thal again, and it's like, wow, right. we're back in Ezra's communication tower and i want a loath cat very badly now you know i knew you would <laughs> but dave filoni wrote and directed the first episode of this thing and, and to be honest this has filoni's fingerprints all over it it's his style yes. of storytelling but again remember these are his characters we're revisiting but you you had s- some thoughts about the show especially how you're looking at the reviews or the 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 comments out there. Well, yeah, what people are, are, I mean, I don't know what people are thinking. Mm-hmm. See, I'm the kind of person, and I get in trouble for this a lot, a lot. I like almost everything. And what why I have this, why I do this is because I go into or I see something and I become the audience that it's made for. And... If the filmmaker wants to go this direction, I'll follow him. I'll go in that direction. Um, very few times do I get upset that it it doesn't go in a direction where I thought it should. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, for these Star Wars films, I'm accepting everything because everybody is always remaking. What's a what's the term? You're remaking the mousetrap or something? Oh, okay. You know, uh, reinventing the wheel. Yeah. Reinventing the wheel. There you go. And and in a way, he's doing that by bringing his characters, mm-hmm. his cartoon characters, into real life. Mm-hmm. Now, 
Ahsoka seems to be going back to what she was at the end of um, Clone Wars. Mm -hmm. She's grumpy. She um, she and Sabine, something has happened. I guess they were trying to do the whole Master and Padawan mm -hmm. thing, yet Ahsoka's not a Jedi. Mm -hmm. And can can she train as well as somebody who has gone through the whole, you know, Master Padawan thing? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And something must have happened to where they, they didn't get along. And then Sabine, she's not wearing her Mandalorian mm -hmm. armor anymore. Mm -hmm. And what happened there? And she just seems like she's just not in it anymore. And like we say, she goes, she's in the tower that Ezra was staying in, mm -hmm. and she just seems to have shut her off, herself off from everybody. Mm -hmm. But then we get Hera and Chopper. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that we can relate to. And I I just love Hera. Um, it's she She was great in the the series, mm -hmm. you know, and they had dramatic arcs for her. But right now you seem to get, but where's her son? We don't know where her son is. So I'm, I'm hoping they're going to tell us where that is. And Chopper is great, except you can almost hear, understand what he says. By the way, I found out just recently who actually voices Chopper. Is Filoni, right? Yeah, yeah. But again, I would, you know, didn't know that. Well, you but... can almost hear. There's a part where he, where he really says, and I listened to it three times, mm -hmm. and I got a, um, I have a bad feeling about this. Oh, wow. Okay, I did. All right. But I also watched it with um, subtitles, mm -hmm. and I was hoping they would translate what he's saying. Mm -hmm. But what they do is they just put like his mood, like excited, mm -hmm. happy. Mm -hmm. Uh, not happy or whatever. They just put what his what he says in the mood he's saying it. Mm -hmm. So um, I think he he may even say what don't wait for me or something like mm -hmm. that. But there's things you can almost understand. And so in that regard, mm -hmm. and and then some of the reviews was there's not enough action, and I don't know about you, mm -hmm. but I was I held my breath during that whole chase in the the transport and Ahsoka fighting again, mm -hmm. another mysterious mm -hmm. guy with a mask mm -hmm. that we're going to find out it's somebody from our past. I don't know. Like I said, if you are a fan of either Star Wars, Clone Wars or Star Wars Rebels, this show, at least based on the first two episodes, is very much in your wheelhouse. Oh, even Man Mandalorian too. Mm -hmm. I mean, it has that, you know, that whole. Um, it's giving us information mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for the for the future. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I, I guess, and again, a tiny little spoiler here that we see Hera and Chopper chase a transport leaving a scrapyard with a giant hyperspace engine, and when. We next see our villains. They are assembling some sort of giant craft with all sorts of hyperspace engines because they have to travel across these enormous, vast regions of space to try to get to where Thrawn is, where we also have to assume that uh, Ezra is located. Well, that's funny, too, because if you think about mm -hmm. it, Thrawn was taken away. He would have been a major character in the four through six mm -hmm. because he is a major character. Uh, he was a major bad guy, mm -hmm. but they introduce his character. Now, how are we going to get rid of him to see? So people don't say, well, what, what was going on? Mm -hmm. Why wasn't he part of the war? Well, they bring him to another part of far, far away mm -hmm. <laughs> and in a, another galaxy, far, far away. Mm -hmm. So now he comes back and he's got to be part of the, the New Republic, right? In theory. In theory. I mean, what was interesting, and I think we saw this in season three of Mandalorian, the jockeying among the players who were, right. you know, basically looking to fill the vacuum to, to become the powerful one. And the others who were trying to hold the spot open for Thrawn because it's like he's coming back. So I'm more intrigued that the chess pieces are moving around the board. And yes, I know what people are saying about the whole 
Ahsoka isn't really a Jedi because she didn't finish her training. And obviously something has gone on between her and Sabine Wren. But again, stories need places to go. And more to the point, what I'm intrigued by is there were folks who were examining the footage of, of Ray Stevens at that sort of Stonehenge oh, thing no. <laughs> uh, and looking up into the clouds to and listening to the soundtrack. And it's like, is there a purgle up there? I mean, we've already shown, for example, in uh, Mandalorian season three. And in fact, we had that moment right. where uh, Mando and Grogu were traveling in hyperspace and Grogu looks up and sees that he, you know, they are in fact surrounded by Purgle. And well, that's what I got the idea, even the first time I saw yeah. it, that, you know, it had to be Purgles mm-hmm. because that this is the the show that they came from. No, absolutely. And, and more to the point, if you watch the the post-show credit sequence, the, the Purgles are everywhere. I mean, you know, they've got them as stylized creatures. So this is Chekhov country, folks. So they've been... <laughs> they are hinting that we're getting purgled. So, you know, we're going to see some space whales fairly shortly. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm enjoying this show a lot and hope that, at the, in fact, that it does continue. But you have been hearing some interesting things in regard to both Mando 4 and, and potentially in Ahsoka 2. So can you talk about it? Because of the strikes that are going on, Mando 4 is being slowly rising to the shelf. (laughs) And so is Ahsoka 2. Now, these two things, these two series, were supposed to lead up to Dave Filoni's movie. But what is happening is, because nobody knows what's going on with the strikes yet, even if they hit the ground running, it would be too late, not too late, but it would delay a lot of things to get things rolling and to get things going out in time. Mm -hmm. So there is thought to take Mandalorian 4, which may be filling the hole Mm -hmm. and using the story ideas that they were going to be using for Rangers of the New Republic, and that was going to be for Mandalorian 4. Okay. So using Mandalorian 4 and Ahsoka 2 and making a movie that will lead to Filoni's movie. Now, if you think about it, most of Mando's and Ahsoka's uh, episodes are half an hour almost. Sometimes they're a little longer, but most times they're half an hour. And what there's, well, there's six Mando's and there's eight uh, Ahsoka's. So if you think about it, it's a, it's a, a two and a half hour movie is five episodes. Mm-hmm. So if they just cut out all the the fat, you could you could do it. It's it's there's nothing saying that you couldn't make a a comprehensive film mm-hmm. that will span over, you know, what they had in mind for the series. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just tighten it up, and then you'll have a real tight thing. So, in a way, that's not a bad thing. I mean, I'll miss. I love the series. I love just getting engulfed with, you know, all the minutiae and and all the little Easter eggs and and everything like that. I enjoy that a lot. Mm -hmm. But if they need to, they're not throwing it away. Mm -hmm. I mean, Filoni has an idea, but in order to show his idea, he's got to, to, you know, basically set it up. And we know right now that Lucasfilm, they're focusing on feature films. They got the Alkalite, they got, uh, what is it, Skeleton Crew, mm-hmm. they've got Ahsoka 2, and maybe Ahsoka 2, and then Mando 4, and that's about it when it's coming to TV shows, and everything else is on the back burner. I mean, we haven't heard anything about a, a Andor, I'm sorry, we got Andor, of course, but that's a whole different can of worms, that's not part of the, the Mando. Mm-hmm. Universe. Well, I would argue that Lucasfilm has shown, has clearly demonstrated that a well-produced Star Wars-based series can drive merchandise sales and be popular in pop, pop yes. culture in much the same way as a hit film is. 
And so if you think about Patty Jenkins, Taika Waititi, J.J. Abrams, you know, all, all of these folks who have made runs at getting Star Wars feature films going, that Lucasfilm is going, yeah, you know. And so, again, I get, especially post-strike and with the exhibitors really chomping at the bit to get product into the theaters, that a new Star Wars film would obviously be, a you know, a top priority. But yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm, I'm going to be interested to see how this all plays out because you know i mean what are you what are you hearing out west is is it still you know yeah it's still going strong um i heard that a24 Mm. has actually signed a deal with the the writers and the um actors and but a24 can do that because they're they're like an entity on in their own Mm. and their budgets are so tight Mm. you know that it's that people who work for them, then they know that they're going to be doing things for that, that so a 24, but everything else is there. There, it seems like the producers and are, are standing strong. And I say that in a very horrible way because they, they want to hurt these people to where they are, they're going to lo- start losing stuff. Mm-hmm. But the thing about it is when you do that to people mm-hmm. and you start taking things away from them, they get to a point that they got nothing else to lose. Yeah, I know. And it's interesting you bring that up because the other bit of news that, that broke this past week was the fact that the AMPT, you know, the, the Producers Association, actually hired a crisis management PR team because just the sense is the narrative is getting away from us. We didn't have much sympathy to begin with, but it, the narrative is getting away from us. And and again, if you're you're a Disney or a, a Warner's or that sort of thing, I mean, you don't want on the other side of this to have people so angry with the the miserable deal that the writers, the actors wound up with. It's like I'm not going to go to the movies to see or the theater to see your movies. So it's like, okay, how do we get ahead of this? And it just I think that's really kind of telling that. You know, we need somebody to help us spin this, given what's going on at this moment. Well, yeah, I, and I just want to say I got my rumors from a website called makingstarwars.net. And I just want to give them because they if it, it's funny because I've looked at other stuff on there and a lot of it. They're only half true. They're only, they're only half right most of the time. But it's fun to to hear what people are thinking or hoping of. Mm. And also I want to, um, in, in Ahsoka, I forgot to mention our funny robot. Mm-hmm. Of course, um, Huang, mm-hmm. what, how, Huang, mm-hmm. is that how you say I his name? I believe so, yep. Yeah, and um, you know who does the voice, right? I, again, I did not know this until you shared the yeah. research tonight. It was David, David Tennant. Wow. Now, if you watched him in the Clone Wars, mm-hmm. he was very mm-hmm. doctoring. Mm-hmm. He was crazy. He he was you know he ran around. He did crazy things. He wouldn't stop talking. Now, Devin told me. Mm-hmm. My son Devin told me that the origin of him is they found him, I think, in the middle of nowhere, mm-hmm. inside a blue box. Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> wow. Well, speaking of, of, of David Tennant, I'm, I'm so looking forward to him returning as the Doctor and, and he yeah. and Don, Donna going off on adventures again. That'll be... it. But that's supposedly the, the special event that the three episodes are, are films prior to the arrival of our new Doctor. But Yeah, well, remember his last... Um, when his last Doctors were... Was it three or four films? Yeah. It was the 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 Water Planet ones. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They did those instead of a, a season. Mm-hmm. And, and and if you, if you're a David Tennant fan, mm-hmm. which we all are, mm-hmm. you have to see the second season of Good Omens. Oh, that's true. That's true. Which outdoes mm-hmm. the first season. Wow. That's... It, but in not a way where, you know, the executive's thinking, well... People liked 
this, so mm. we have to give them double of this. Mm. No, it's basically people like this, so let's give them something else. Mm. And that's exactly what they do, and I hope they get a, a third season because um, Gaiman mm -hmm. and Pratchett mm. just gave us a whole new world to fall in love with. That they so. did. That they did. Okay, folks, that's it for this week's show, folks. And, and Brian will be back, and I will be back in two weeks' time. In the meantime, Brian, where can folks find you on social media? Well, I'm on, I'm still on X and uh, at Geek with Children, C H I L D R N. Mm -hmm. And where can we find you? Uh, well, I am still on Twitter, X, or whatever we're calling it. Likewise, Instagram, I go to, which also leads into threads, uh, all three of those places, the Jim Hill Media. Uh, and then on Facebook is Jim Hill Media News. Also want to remind you folks, we have some other podcasts here we'd love you to, to, to check out. We, of course, have Disney Dish, uh, which I do with Len Testa. We also have Marvelous Disney, which I do with Aaron Adams, the gentleman who edits uh, the podcast here. And by the way, Aaron has a, a great uh, podcast of his own called 32nd Street, which explores the world of advertising. Uh, we also have Fine Tuning. I do with Drew Taylor. And that one, uh, it's worth noting that Drew and his friend Charles Hood are doing the Light Diffuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast. Uh, let's see, beyond that... Oh, we're getting good... We're getting close to seeing episodes of Unpacked, aren't we? Well, I, you know, that, uh, thank you for bringing that up. Uh, yeah, that's Len and my first ever video series, uh, the one we're doing uh, in collaboration with Jim Schull, uh, Imagineer who spent 30 years at the company uh, working on some of your favorite rides for the park, like Rock and Roller Coaster, Mater's Junkyard Jamboree. And we're going to be launching this show at the tail end of September, early October. But uh, till then, uh, we're doing some preview videos and that sort of thing over on YouTube. So if you want to head over to that and subscribe, that would be cool. Oh, speaking of, of you know, giving you some assignments here, folks, if you want to head over to <laughs> Apple, uh, Apple Podcast, to, uh, if you want to head over there to rate and recommend looking at Lucasfilm, uh, Brian and I would certainly appreciate that. Uh, likewise... If you really, really, really like what you heard here tonight, if you want to head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be cool, too. And I think that's going to do it for this week. So uh, come back in two weeks' time. Brian and I will have watched a few more episodes of Ahsoka, and we'll be working our trap lines to see what else we can find out that's going on at Lu uh, Lucasfilm. But till then, thank you for listening, and we'll be back soon.